0: Am I on? Hello. If I could, uh, if I can draw your conversations to a close, and we're gonna gonna make a start this morning. Um, I don't know what you what you felt watching that New Day video. I felt a combination of things. The first thing that I felt was I actually felt quite tired and old. I thought, oh man. <laughs> like I, after about an hour of that, I think I'd be sat down with a nice cup of coffee, trying to relax. But I also felt an incredible sense of excitement, actually. And especially at the end, when it was hearing, you know, 250 people made a first-time commitment to Jesus, 167 made a recommitment to Jesus, all these healings and the power of the Spirit going on. And something in me was kind of like, oh, yes! Did anyone else feel that? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it can feel a little bit like those encounters, those experiences, are you know, they're just for the book of Acts, or they're just for things like New Day, But actually, what I'm here to tell you today is that those kind of experiences, that encounter with God, is for us. And it's not just for Sunday mornings, it's for every single day of our lives with Jesus. So we're going to be continuing today, uh, looking in the book of Acts, and we're going to be focusing on the character and person of Philip in chapter 8. But before we get into this passage, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Philip. Now, Philip is quite an incredible guy. Okay, don't miss this. Philip is... An amazing guy. We are told that Philip and Stephen are men who are full of the spirit and wisdom. He is given the task of caring and feeding the widows in the Jerusalem church. We also learn that 20 years later, he settled in a town called Caesarea, and he has four daughters, all who possess the gift of prophecy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all up for the prophecy. I don't know about the four daughters. But... um, But there there are a few things that we can conclude about Philip. And that is that Philip is faithful and obedient. Philip is asked by the 12 apostles if he and Stephen will care for the widows. And let's let's not kind of take this lightly. this is a significant task. They are uh, in charge with feeding and caring for the widows. That's seven days a week. I'd imagine that's three meals a day. That is a considerable amount of work that these guys are being asked and entrusted to. And what we can take from Philip's example is that no task should be beneath us or that we're not above doing anything. You know, I've known a lot of Christians over the years that um, have, have sort of said things to me like, I will only preach or I will only do something if I can lead it or if I can be kind of in charge of it. I've also, I remember having a conversation with a guy a few years ago asking if he would help out on a welcome team, and he kind of gave me this sort of weird sort of spiritually sort of answer as to why he couldn't do it. He said, I feel that God has appointed me to be a spiritual voice on our Sunday mornings and therefore I can't serve. I was like, well, okay. And uh, I've also, on the flip side, I've also known some very incredibly gifted people serve their hearts out. You know, I've got a number of friends, people like Ian and Lindsay, for example, that are church planting. And uh, quite often, the church planters that I know, they, all of the church stuff is in either their spare bedroom or in their garage. And so they'll, they'll be up at like six o'clock in the morning, they'll be loading up their cars with speakers and coffee machines and all sorts of other stuff. They'll, they'll get to church, they'll be the setup team, they'll be the welcome team, they'll be the hospitality team, they'll be the worship team, they'll be the preaching team, they'll be the pack-down team. And actually, these are people who are incredibly gifted and yet not above serving and doing the right thing. What we see here with Philip is that he is not above any position. Actually, he is faithful and obedient, and I believe that he is somebody that could be trusted. He was firstly trusted with a job that probably none of us would have wanted. I don't know how quick I would have been to have volunteered to to do that. But actually, we see because of his faithfulness, that actually he, he was trusted with much more, as we'll later come on to in this passage. Philip shows us that character is far more important than gifting. It's because Philip has the right character that he is happy to serve the widows. And it's because of this same character that God can use him in a powerful way later on. Secondly, we see that Philip is a man full of the Spirit. And we will learn this morning that he clearly hears God and acts in obedience to what God is asking of him. So as I said, Philip is a pretty awesome guy. And actually, he he should be a role model or an example to every single one of us. Okay, so let's do a recap from last week. So we saw in uh, verses 1 to 3 of Acts that the church is being greatly persecuted. We see that Stephen has been stoned to death by the Sanhedrin. And that the person who is leading the charge is a man called Saul. Now we will later come to learn or know Saul as Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he himself encounters Jesus in an incredible way. But this persecution leads to the believers being scattered, being dispersed, and being sent out. And as a result of this persecution, we see that Philip is led to Samaria. Now, this is the fulfillment of the words of Jesus in Acts 1, verse 8, where he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, at first glance, this persecution is devastating, isn't it? It seems like the beginning of the end. You know, Philip's lost a brother in Christ, probably one of his best friends. Everyone is scattered. Everyone's defeated. You know, maybe we should all just go home. But that isn't what happens here. God uses this for his plans and purposes to fulfill his promise that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. And what we see here in Acts 8 is the start of the to the ends of the earth mission. And it's because of these events actually that every single one of us is here today. We know Jesus because of these events, because the gospel has traveled and has spread and has spoken and we have received it and responded to it. The gospel spread and grew and has gone to the ends of the earth. And let's be clear, this isn't a work that has finished. It's not gone to the ends of the earth. It is going and continuing to go. And every one of us has a part to play in this. We are those that have received the good news and need to keep on going. Keep on sharing the good news and doing it all through the power of the Holy Spirit. So because of these events, we see that Philip has gone to Samaria. Now on the surface, this looks like he's just kind of gone to the next town, doesn't it? And you could be tricked into thinking it's a little bit like Philip has he's gone to Paul and he's shared the gospel in Paul and he was persecuted and he's just gone on to Bournemouth to do the same. But actually that is not the case here. There was huge divisions amongst the Jews and the Samaritans at this time, going back hundreds of years. The Bible commentator F.F. Bruce said this, the Judeans, this is kind of like people like Philip, regarded the Samaritans as racial and religious half-breeds because of the foreign settlers planted in Samaria by the Assyrians to take the place of the upper class of the land who were deported at the time of the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. Before long, these settlers abandoned their former pagan worship and became indistinguishable from the Israelites among whom they dwelt but their alien origin continued to be used by the Jews as a pretext for refusing to have any dealing with them. So, Philip, being a Jew, going to Samaria was incredibly countercultural. It would have been quite a hostile place for him to have gone to. He's just come from his own people that have met him with considerable hostility and persecution, and now he's going to Samaria. I mean, surely he's mad, right? He's going to a more hostile place... Well, actually, like I said earlier, Philip is faithful and obedient to God. He is full of wisdom, and he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. So I'm going to, let's read now and see what happens to Philip when he goes to Samaria. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're looking at Acts 8, and we're going to be reading from verses 4 to 8. So it says this, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So clearly some incredible things happen here. God moves in power. He saves many. Signs and wonders are performed, all because Philip took the good news to Samaria. Now I just want to backtrack a little bit here. And just remind you of Acts chapter 6, where we are told that Philip is described as being full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So he's described as being full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Now, I wonder what you would have done in this situation. Perhaps you would have weighed up the pros and cons. You would have said to yourself, well, you know, one of my best friends has just been stoned to death. Like, all the other believers have been scattered and lost. You know, maybe, maybe maybe the safest thing I can do is to go home, is to think of my family is to kind of, you know, lay low, keep it quiet. Um, Maybe just to kind of go home and hide away. But actually, Philip is described as being full of wisdom and the Spirit. And actually, he knows that being obedient to God is the wisest and best thing that he can do with his life. And actually, it's the wisest and best thing that any one of us can do with our lives as well. I say this because... um, a lot of us, particularly myself, as Christians in the Western world, we play it safe and we sometimes call it wisdom. We say things like, you know, I'm not going to tell my friends and family about Jesus. I'm not going to tell my neighbours out of fear of persecution or fear that they, they won't want to hear, that they will hide or, or kind of reject me from this. You know, there's a well-known um, Christian phrase that says, um, preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. And actually, my, I believe that this phrase is nonsense. Actually, what, what wisdom is, is what Philip did. He obediently follows the call of God, and he proclaimed the gospel. He spoke the gospel with words, followed by demonstrations of the Spirit's power. The gospel is good news. It's information that needs to be shared and given and spoken. My friends, wisdom can mean taking risks. It can mean facing opposition or persecution. It can sometimes mean doing something that may appear to be dangerous if it's being obedient to God. And what do we see from Philip's obedience? We see great joy. We see great joy as joy fills the whole city, as people's sins are forgiven, as they experience the love of God for themselves. And don't we want that joy in our church? Yeah, Yeah? are we sure? Don't we want that joy in our church? Yes, we do. We do want to see people being saved and added. And actually, we need to be bold. We need to be obedient. We need to share the good news of the gospel and uh, be confident in approaching some of these risks or persecutions that we could face. Okay, moving on to the next part of our text. I'm going to read from verses 9 to 25. And the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, "'Give me this ability also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit.' Peter answered, "'May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry,' because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. What we see here is that... um, The evidence of salvation is an experienced reality of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happened on the day of Pentecost, is what happens in Samaria. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers. They too receive power from God. And actually the Holy Spirit is God's gift to all believers. Now there's a lot that we could say on this passage, and a lot that we can say on the Holy Spirit. But I believe that there are two main purposes Um, that the Holy Spirit has. And firstly, is that he is a sign and a seal that we as believers are loved and accepted by God. You know, Romans 5 says the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we can truly know that we are loved and accepted by God. It's that deposit in us of the Holy Spirit. You know, my my experience will probably be different uh, to most of you here. You know, everyone's um, probably got a different story to to tell. But I remember when I gave my life to Jesus. So I was about 10 years old. Um, We grew up and went to a Church of England church um, called St Paul's, back where I was living. And um, we'd been talking about what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to give your life to Jesus. And we were sat in this little circle. We were all kind of there, hands together, eyes closed. And we had an opportunity to pray and to um, give our lives to Jesus. And I remember I was just sat there, eyes closed. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man, I know, I know that I believe in God. I know that God is real. I know that I love God. But do I actually want to give him my life? And I remember kind of feeling the weight of that decision, even though I was quite young. And in that moment, I was praying and I thought to myself, I thought, do you know what? I know that I trust Jesus. And I know the best thing I can do with my life is to entrust it to him. And in that moment of kind of saying that prayer, I remember just um, just kind of being overflowed with joy. And I was laughing. Okay. Now, this is, you've, got, you've got to understand the context here as well. So I was, the, I was by far the naughty child of that play group, uh, that Sunday school group. I really was. I can tell you some stories, which I won't say today. But um, we were sat in this circle, everyone quietly, hands together, and there is me just laughing. And it's kind of like, and you sort of see the Sunday school teacher looking over like, oh, it's Matt again, here we go. Um, he's making a joke of this. But, but genuinely, I felt this overwhelming joy. I didn't, I didn't know what had happened to me at the time. It was, it was quite unusual. And I ran out of Sunday school when it finished. I came up to my mum and I said, mum, I am just so happy because I've given my life to Jesus. And it was years later that actually I realised it was the Holy Spirit being poured out on me. And it was that joy that came of knowing the love of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is how we know and experience the love of God. Secondly, he gives us the power and resources that we need to live the life that we have been called to. And that is a life on mission. And I think the the disciples probably give us the best example of this. So if you take Peter, for example. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of Jesus' original 12 followers. And um, I always think Peter was quite hit and miss um, before he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the strongest examples of this is as Jesus is arrested, as he's about to be put to death, Peter denies having anything to do with him. He said, people around are like, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you Peter? Aren't you with him? And on three times, three occasions, he says, no, I don't know him. I've got nothing to do with him. And he runs away from opposition, from persecution, and from fear. And yet when he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, It's almost like the opposite happens. He runs towards it. He boldly and passionately, almost fearlessly, proclaims the good news of the gospel to crowds of thousands, even when he would have faced significant persecution and difficulties as a result. This radical transformation wasn't brought about by willpower. Actually, it was brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. It's important that we understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit for mission Because this is sometimes something that is lost in churches. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is is dead and doesn't really exist. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is just about an experience. And it can all be a little bit just kind of about me and just a a little bit kind of wishy-washy and airy-fairy. But actually the Holy Spirit is never just about an encounter. It's about an encounter and a response. If you look through the Old and New Testament, the Holy Spirit... Comes upon people for purpose, for tasks, for action. You never see in the Bible, John is passionately and powerfully filled with the Spirit. He encounters God on a Sunday morning and then he goes to work Monday morning like nothing has happened. That just isn't a story that we read of. That just isn't what we see. It's important that we see that this is a free gift as well, it can't be bought or purchased with money. Simon the sorcerer wanted to pay for this, wanted to buy this gift and ability. But actually, this is God's gift to us, and it is freely given and freely to be received. Okay, so carrying on with our story. After the breakthrough Philip has seen in Samaria, Peter and John arrive and preach the good news and pray that people will receive the Spirit. And they testify that God is saving people in Samaria. And I actually find this is, this is quite funny, this is quite ironic. So um, earlier on in the Gospels, if you look in Luke chapter 9, um, the Samaritans didn't really receive Jesus and the disciples very well. And John's response is, he's like, Jesus, can we call down fire and burn them all? That's his response. He's like, Lord, let me call down fire from heaven and destroy them. And quite rightly so, Jesus puts him in his place. And this just shows us, though, The incredible power of the gospel. The gospel breaks through racial and social barriers. John and Peter see that the Samaritans are being filled with the Spirit. They see that they are believing in Jesus. And they know that God is genuinely at work in their lives. The gospel truly changes everything. It breaks through these divides and barriers that we as people would put up. Okay, so look at the the final part of our story, Philip and the eunuch. We're going to read from verses 26 through to 40. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian, a eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now again, there's there's probably a few subtleties about this story that wouldn't be necessarily plain to you or me, that would have been to Philip. The first is that this man is a eunuch, so that means that he would have been castrated. Now, the reason for this is that um, if he worked closely with the queen or the princesses, It was culturally acceptable that the male employees would be castrated to protect the females from their potential advances. So, quite a sacrifice. Just imagine this, you're at home... (laughs) So, just imagine this, you're at home, you're on LinkedIn, you're looking for a new job, and this amazing job comes up, you know, Chief Financial Officer of the Kingdom of Ethiopia. Comes with a huge paycheck, a huge salary, a huge responsibility, and you're reading through the requirements section. It says, must be willing to travel, must have an economics degree, must be prepared to work weekends, must be prepared to be castrated. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't think you could pay me enough money. And so for this eunuch to have achieved his job, his wealth, his status, actually, he would have had to have said goodbye to family, goodbye to children and descendants, in a culture where family and descendants was everything. What is also clear about this man is that his way of life has not brought him fulfilment. And I'll tell you how I know this. This man has travelled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. Now, the Ethiopia and Jerusalem that we know today probably aren't quite the same as they were 2,000 years ago. But if you were to go onto Google Maps and you wanted to travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem it would take you 131 hours in a car. 131 hours, and it's 4,200 kilometers. Now, 2,000 years ago, he didn't have roads, they didn't have cars. He's traveling by horse and chariot. He would have traveled a significant amount of time and distance in order to come to Jerusalem and worship. But guess what else we know? This Ethiopian who's traveled thousands of miles would have been turned away from the temple in Jerusalem. He would not have been allowed to have worship, and he would not have been allowed to have entered into the presence of God. Because Old Testament ceremonial law forbids eunuchs to enter into the presence of God. Can you imagine this? He has travelled thousands of miles, desperately searching for God, desperately searching for the answers, and he gets to the temple and he is turned away. Can you imagine how deformed, how unclean, how unloved he must have felt? And yet what do we see? We see Philip come along. We see again that he is obedient to the voice of of God and to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Philip literally runs after a moving chariot because God tells him to do so. How many of us would make this kind of opportunity to tell people about Jesus? Philip didn't wait for this guy to subtly ask him a question. He didn't spend five years just trying to love him well. He literally runs up to this guy to share with him the good news of the gospel. He makes an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And he catches up with the man, hearing him reading Isaiah, and he engages him with the gospel. Now, I imagine this eunuch, on his 4,200-kilometer journey, would have had quite a lot of time to read it's probably probably quite likely that he would have read the the book of Isaiah through countless times. And if that is the case, it's likely that he would have read Isaiah 56, which says this, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths, who chooses what pleases me, and holds fast to my covenant, to them within my temple and its walls, sorry, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Can you imagine being a eunuch and reading verses like this? I mean, this must have just hit him right in the heart. For this man who's given up family, given up sons and daughters, given up that legacy, God says, let no unit complain, I'm only a dry tree. I will give them a memorial within my temple walls. I will give them an everlasting name better than sons and daughters. He must have been like, how can this be? How, how can I have this? And yet he must have been thinking, but I've been turned away from the temple. What do I do? How do I have this? He's still searching and asking these questions. And we see the answer in Isaiah 53 as he is reading aloud. And Philip comes up to him and explains to him the passage. What he is reading about in Isaiah 53 is a person who has been cut off. Someone who has been voluntarily cut off, voluntarily excluded. A lamb that is slain. And just as he is reading all this, all these thoughts and emotions going on in his mind, this guy, random guy, Philip, runs up next to him on his chariot. And says, hey, do you know what you're reading about? The eunuch says, no. Is the prophet talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? Philip tells him that he is talking about Jesus. He was the lamb that was slain. He was cut off for you. So that you never have to be cut off from God again. He took upon himself our sin so that we don't need to be sinners anymore. And what happens once again is that great joy comes upon the eunuch, as it did for the people in Samaria. And he is immediately baptized. I mean, I imagine this guy, he's literally all in, isn't he? He's been searching so desperately. And when he sees it, he's like, yes, this is it. And he's like, right, what can stop me from being baptized? Nothing. Let's do it right now. Now, we don't, we don't uh, hear about the eunuch again in the, in the passage of Acts or later on in the Bible. Um, it's Christian tradition that he went off and was the first missionary to Africa and Ethiopia. And we don't know if that's true, but it's, um, it's quite a nice thought, isn't it? But what we do know is that this is God, the start of God's to the ends of the earth mission. As I mentioned earlier, this is a mission that we are still on today and that every one of us has a part to play in. And I just want to end by just summarizing us and giving us a couple of ways that we can and should respond this morning. The first is that actually we need to be faithful and obedient like Philip. We need to ask for the strength of the Holy Spirit to take risks and to share the gospel. It can be daunting. It can be, it can be quite scary and frightening in a world that actually is, is opposed to us, opposed to our message, opposed to the church. And actually what we need is we need strength to do things that in our own willpower we can't do. And so this morning, when we respond later on, I want to encourage every single one of you to respond and say, Lord, give me that strength and that power. Let me encounter your Holy Spirit again. The second thing is actually maybe you, maybe you have never encountered the Holy Spirit for yourself. And actually this is God's gift to you as a believer. And we want to pray for you that you would receive this gift. You would receive the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time in your life. And again, if you've not received that gift, don't leave without receiving it. Come and respond today. And thirdly, maybe you're not a believer here today. And actually, maybe you feel like the eunuch. Maybe you feel cut off. Maybe, you, maybe you've, you've spent days, weeks, months, years searching for something more. And actually, today, I implore you to respond to Jesus. To lay hold of his salvation and the gift of the gospel today. All right, I'm, going to, I'm just going to end in prayer, and then I'm going to hand over to Nathaniel and the band that are going to help us respond. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. We thank you that we are here because at some point, somebody faithfully shared the good news with us. Lord Jesus, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be in our lives. Lord, we don't believe that salvations, we don't believe that the, um, the working of your Holy Spirit through things like signs and wonders and healing is something for 2,000 years ago or just for events like New Day. Actually, Lord God, we believe it is for today. It is for, for now. It is for tomorrow and for the rest of our time. So, Lord, we, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit will be poured out upon us afresh in power today. And Lord, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you. Anyone who might feel excluded or cut off or outside, or anyone who is longing and searching for that thing in life, Lord, I pray that they would see you today, that their eyes would be opened, and that they would lay hold of you, lay hold of Jesus, lay hold of your forgiveness of sin, that love this morning. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the one who saved.